So before we jump into this today, let me fill you in or remind you about what's coming up the next couple of weeks because our routine's a little different again. So uh, hopefully after, uh, by the end of this month, we'll be back in a normal routine through the rest of the semester, through the rest of the spring. So we're excited about that. We don't have church next Sunday physically here. The boat show is here, so uh, we don't have anywhere to go. So we are going to create something online. We are going to uh, put up an online experience for you uh, so you don't miss out. It's going to be part three, the final part of this Fully Alive series. And it will go um, live on our website, on our app, our YouTube channel, uh, Roku channel, Apple TV. I can't even remember where all the places I've got it now. But all the digital channels, wherever you find us, it's going to go live at 9 a.m., I believe, on Sunday morning. So you can enjoy that at home with family if you want to or uh, watch it at some point. Friends, it'll be there from uh, 9 a.m. on, on demand for you whenever you want to see it. So I wanted to make sure you knew about that. And then we will be back on January 27th. And we'll be on our brand new service schedule. So I just wanted to remind you, our new service time starting the 27th will be 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. We're just now getting used to these service times, and now we got to remember new ones. I know. By the way, let me just say, you guys have been phenomenal. We're changing all this. You know, got to create some room to, to reach some more people. And, and nobody, none of you have complained. At least you hadn't to me. So thank you. Uh, nobody gripes about it. You guys are so awesome about this. So we'll be here uh, starting on the 27th, 8, 9.30, and 11. So you figure out where you want to come, come early at 8 and see if I can do this at 8 a.m. Well, it, it might be interesting. 8, 9, 30, and 11. Let's all say this together. Just help us out. Okay, ready? 8. Okay, okay. 8, 9, 30, and 11. We'll do our best to remind you. Uh, and real quick, let me just tell you this. The reason, and I've explained this before, but if you're new around here, the reason we're going to three services is because we are... Uh, out of space in several areas, and most of them are in our kids and our family ministry environments. Last week, I, when they told me this, I could not believe it. Last Sunday, we had more kids here for a January 6th service than we had last Easter. That is nuts. Absolutely nuts. So thank you for inviting your friends, but we maxed out a lot of the space, so we're, the three services is going to open up some space for us. And the other thing I'll tell you about the 27th is this. I'm just going to give you a heads up, okay? You, since you're here, you get some bonus information. You do not want to miss January 27th. And you know I don't get up here and say that very often. I'm telling you, you're going to want to do whatever you can do, if at all possible, to rearrange your schedule and be here on the 27th. Because a couple things are going to happen. One is, as you know, we have been uh, engaged and involved with our community from the very beginning. And everything falls under this umbrella for Callaway. Uh, well, on the 27th, I'm going to share some incredibly exciting news for you. Uh, the message is entitled, For Callaway 2.0. Because we have an opportunity now in front of us to take what we do in this community to the next level. And honestly, I think it's probably going to take it to the level above that and the level above that. I think it's going to be exponential impact for our community. I couldn't be more excited. And I'm going to be able to share all of that with you on the 27th. And... If that's not enticing enough, everyone who is here on the 27th, you're going to walk out with a couple things for free. We're going to have a brand new Four Callaway t-shirt for free for all of you. And they have designed a four car cling for the back of your car that everybody here that day gets one. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to be mean, but listen, listen. Do not, do not, do not say, I can't be there on the 27th and tell your buddy to grab an extra shirt for you. You hear me? you got to be here to grab it on the 27th, but we've got enough for everybody who's going to be here that day. You're all going to walk out with some free stuff, and uh, it's going to be a really, really exciting day 
you're not going to want to miss it. So that's what's coming up. Today we're in part two of this series, Fully Alive. And if you weren't here with us last week, I'll catch you up in just a second. But I want to start today with a question. It's a question that's going to seem really weird uh, to those of you who are not followers of Jesus. I acknowledge that up front. I get it. If I were in your shoes, I'd think this was a weird question too. This question actually will probably even seem weird to some of us who do follow Jesus, uh, depending on where you are in your faith and what you believe. This may seem like a weird question to you, but before I give you the question, I would just say this. I think if there were more people who followed Jesus, who had an answer to the question that I'm about to ask you, maybe more of you who don't follow Jesus would seriously consider following him. If you saw more Christians who were experiencing what I'm about to ask, I think it would cause you to lean in and pay a little bit more attention. So here's the question. When's the last time something happened in your life that can only be explained by God? When's the last time something happened in your life that can only be explained by God. I'm not talking about coincidences. Christians are the worst at this. I'm not talking about, oh my gosh, couldn't find my keys in the mat. You wouldn't believe it. There they were. I found my keys. God just answered my prayer. I, could, I was running so late and I didn't know what to do, so I prayed God help me to get there. And then all the lights on 12th Street magically turned green. And I just, no, no, no. When you do that kind of stuff, I just shake my head. Like, I, maybe it's God. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm not talking about that kind of stuff, okay? There, there are a lot of explanations for that. When I talk about something that can only be explained by God, here's what I mean. I mean something that when you look at the totality of the situation and you gather all the information, you come to the conclusion that the most plausible, rational, logical explanation for how that happened was actually God. In other words, you may be able to come up with some other explanations for how it could have happened, but they're more far-fetched than just acknowledging, I think God did that. That's what I'm talking about. And those kinds of moments and those kinds of experiences, they don't happen every day. They don't happen every week necessarily. But from time to time in our lives, those of us who follow him should experience something that can only be explained by him. So when's the last time that happened for you? Has it ever happened for you? Last week, I asked you a couple other questions. One of the questions I asked you was, where are you now? In all the different areas of your life, if you are evaluating and reflecting on where, you know, what's going on in your world and what's going on in your life, where are you now? And then I also ask you this question, well, where will you be? Because a year from now, you're going to be somewhere. And the good news is you get to write your own story. You get to write your own story because it's your decisions, not your intentions, that will determine where you end up. They'll determine your destination. So you get to decide where you're going to be a year from now. And while I don't know exactly what you need to do to get from where you are now to where you want to be, I do believe this. I am certain that you are one right decision away from getting from where you are now to where you want to be. I'm certain if you would just make one key decision, it would change everything right here. And I don't know specifically what that decision looks like, but in general, I know what kind of decision that is. And it's what I hope, as I told you last week, it's what... I hope you will do this year. My wish for you is to take a courageous step of faith that costs you something. This is the kind of decision that all of us have to make if we're going to get from where we are now to where we want to be. It's to take a courageous step of faith. And when I talk about faith, I'm not using faith in the sense of a belief system or anything like that, a religion. I'm just talking about trust. So you could substitute that word if you want. I wish you would take a courageous step of faith or courageous step of trust that costs you something. And the reason I know it's necessary for you to do that, to get from where you are now to where you want to be, is because you cannot follow God, you cannot live the life that you were created to live 
without doing what you can do, but stepping into a gap where there's uncertainty and there's fear and, and there are unknowns, and you have to trust. You just can't follow God without trust. Trust is at the foundation of all healthy relationships, and it's actually what Jesus is most concerned about in your life. It's not what you do. It's how much you trust him. It's whether you have big faith, because the, the more you trust, the closer you are, the more you trust, the stronger the relationship is. That's true for anybody. It's certainly true for your relationship with Jesus. And that step of trust will cost you something. That step of trust requires you to let go of what you want now in order to get what you want most. The reason you're not where you want to be is because there's something about what you have now that you just don't want to let go of, that I just don't want to let go of. So you have to be willing to let go of that. And it's going to cost you. But that's the only way you can get to where you want to be. Now, you know this. I don't have to tell you this because you've experienced this in your life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Whenever you take a step that is uncertain, whenever you take a step where there is no guaranteed outcome, there is fear. It is the number one thing that blocks us, that prevents us. It's the number one obstacle for all of us to experiencing the kind of life that God created us to live. What do you do with the fear? The good news is this. Fear is normal. Some people think, well, if I feel fear, that means I must not have enough faith. That is not true at all. Fear and doubt are a prerequisite for faith and trust. If there's no fear, there is no need for faith whatsoever. So if you feel fear, don't think, oh my goodness, I must not have much faith. Think, no, that's exactly what faith is for. That's exactly why trust is required. It's because there is some fear here. The question is, what do you do with it? And how do you move ahead in spite of your fear? What's interesting to me, I actually find this really encouraging, is that when you open up the stories of Jesus' life, there are four different accounts, and you begin to read about Jesus and his interaction with his closest disciples, the 12, and there were a lot of people who followed him, but those closest 12, what I find so encouraging is those 12 guys dealt with fear over and over and over and over and over again. Now think about that. They were physically with Jesus. They could see him. They watched him do this miracle and this miracle, and they heard him teach about this and explain this, and then they saw this miracle and they saw this. I mean, they saw more and experienced more. They were in a better seat than anyone has ever been in. If anybody wasn't going to feel fear as they followed Jesus, it would have been those 12 guys. But they dealt with fear all the time, all the time. So it's just normal. All of us are going to face it. But there's some great lessons and insights we can gain about how to deal with fear when you begin to look at their life and look at how Jesus helped them navigate through the fears that tended to paralyze them. One of those insights is found in a story that's probably very familiar to most of you, whether you grew up in church or not. You've heard little bits and pieces of this, at least. And uh, the story is found in three of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And it's a story that happened right after another pretty familiar story. So Jesus has been with his disciples. He's been teaching a large crowd of people, and it's getting late, and uh, there's, there are no restaurants around, obviously, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And if you remember this part, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, we need to feed these guys. What are we going to feed them? And they say, well, we don't have enough food to feed these people. There are uh, about 5,000 people there. And one of the disciples says, all we have are five loaves of bread and two fish. And this is the story where Jesus, you know, prays over it, and he gives it to them and just says, go start giving it out, and it just... They don't run out of food, and they end up feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And as that story ends, this story we're going to look at today immediately begins because these guys thought, oh my goodness, we just experienced something extraordinary. We just experienced something that, you know, no doubt built their faith or their trust in Jesus. 
But Jesus wasn't done with them. He immediately invites them to take another courageous step of faith. And Matthew, who uh, wrote one of the accounts of Jesus' life and records this story for us, tells us here, he was there. He tells us here's what happened. Immediately, immediately after they'd fed the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. I love this. They're so honest. Matthew says, Jesus had to make us get in a boat because we just experienced one of the most amazing things we'd ever seen, and the crowd was buzzing, and it was a place to be, and a party was breaking out, and we didn't want to go anywhere. We wanted to bask in the fun. We wanted to celebrate with everybody else. And Jesus looks at us and says, nope, you don't get to celebrate. You got to get in the boat. I'm going to make you. You got to get in the boat, and you got to start rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And you know those guys thought, well, wait a minute, Jesus. If, if you're telling us to get in the boat and go across, how are you going to get across? They're, they're baffled and confused by it, but they jump in the boat. And here's what happens. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, they're on the Sea of Galilee, and as if you've been around here, I've mentioned this before. Some of these disciples, some of these 12, are seasoned professional fishermen. They have been on the Sea of Galilee a whole lot. They have seen a lot of storms. This is nothing new to them, but this clearly is a considerable wind that they're facing because it's taken them all night long, as you'll see in a minute, and they still haven't made it across this lake. They still haven't gotten to where they wanted to go. As a matter of fact, Mark, who wrote and recorded an account of this story as well, Mark put it this way. Mark said they spent all night straining at the oars. And then just before dawn, Matthew tells us this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And just real quickly, if you're one of those people, and I get this, if you're one of those people who go, okay, Matt, this is exactly why I don't give the Bible any credibility, because how are you supposed to believe that a man walked on water? Nobody does that. I get it. I get it. But if you're skeptical about some of this, I don't have time to build a case based on the laws of logic as to why this is possible, but I want to throw three nuggets out to you real quick that you can wrestle with and think about on your own. One, if Jesus was who he claimed to be, and that's a big if, that's something you have to figure out what you believe, but if Jesus was who he claimed to be, if he was the creator of all things, then according to the laws of logic, it would make perfect sense that the creator of all things can alter the laws of his creation whenever he wants. And so it would be possible for the creator to walk on the water and alter the laws of his creation. Secondly, if Jesus was who he said he was, and he predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. Again, that's a big if. You've got to figure out if you believe that. But if that really happened, now let's be honest, walking on water is kind of like adding two plus two. Once you walk out of an empty tomb, the other miracles are like, yeah, that was nice, but <laughs> that wasn't no tomb thing. You know, it's, it, it seems a lot simpler and a lot more plausible. And then the third thing I would just throw out there for you to consider is simply the fact that we have three different independent eyewitness accounts of this story happening. So it's a lot to think about. Anyway, he comes walking on the lake. And then Matthew says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I love the honesty in this. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Well, of course they did. Here, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. These guys weren't expecting Jesus to show up on the lake. When they started thinking, well, how's he going to get to the other side? Nobody said, you know, he'll probably just stroll across. There was no category in their mind for their friend Jesus walking on water. So when they see a figure on the water, they come to the most rational explanation they can come to. 
well, we never believed in ghosts before, but that can't be a real person. Hence, I'm going with the ghost theory, and they're scared out of their mind. Now, again, if they were making all of this up, you've got to ask yourself the question, why would they put stuff like this in there? Because they just make themselves look bad. They make themselves look like they just don't have any trust or any faith in Jesus at all. But this was just, there's being honest. There's laying it out there. They're just responding the way any of us would have responded in that moment. And so Matthew continues and he tells us, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid because they were clearly terrified. And then I love this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. (laughs) This is the beauty of this. Peter's not even sure it's who he thinks it is. Jesus says, hey, it's me. You guys don't worry about it. And Peter goes, eh, I'm not sure I'm buying that. Lord, if it's you, I'm, I'm not positive. I've got a lot of questions. And I've got a lot of doubts. So here's what I don't want to know, Jesus. If that's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. Now, I want you to put yourself in their shoes for a moment. What would you do if you were Peter? I'm going to be very honest. I am guessing that if I'm in that boat... I'm going to cling to the side of that boat and look back at Jesus and say, you know what, that's an interesting option. How about you come and get in the boat with me? Because this seems like a much safer route. I mean, I'm all for, yeah, that sounds fun to walk on water out there to you, but that seems a little more dangerous where you're at. How about you come to me and you climb in and then we'll talk about all this and I'll know for sure it's you because you're up close and personal and I can, you know, talk to you. This is our lives, isn't it? This is just what we all do. We all tend to choose and take the safest route. And when it comes to the moments when God nudges you, when God nudges me, when God says, you need to take a courageous step of faith that's going to cost you something. For many of us, the reason we have refused to do that is because we have loved the safest route too much. If I do that, I'm just too scared that I'm going to miss out on something better. I hear you, God, but if I do that, I'm afraid I'm not going to be taken care of. Because there's a gap. If I do that, I'll do what I can do. But then there's a gap. And if you don't step in and do something, I'm going to be in big trouble. So I'm just afraid you're not going to step in. If, you do that, if I do that, God, I'm just too scared of what I'm going to learn about you. I'm just too scared of what I'm going to learn about myself. I'm just too scared I might learn something that forces me to admit that I was wrong. I'm too scared it's going to cost me more than I want to pay. This is us. This is us. We always choose a safer route. We all have a tendency, it's just human nature, to cling to the side of the boat at all cost. And Jesus nudges us. Jesus says, hey, hey, I want you to come on out here with me. I want you to take a courageous step of faith. It's going to cost you something. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. And we go, no, I think I'll just bare knuckle this boat for as long as I can. You know what your boat is? Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is that thing that you can't imagine what your life would be like or how you would go on if you lost it. Your boat is that thing that you try to control and you just hold with clenched fist. That's your boat. It's that thing that God, you'll say yes to God here and you'll say yes to God here and okay, I'll try that. But if he ever points to that one thing, you go, no way. No way. I don't know what your boat is. For some of you, it may be your image, your reputation, how people view you. It's where you get your sense of safety and security. For some of you, it may be 
the retirement nest egg you've got, it may be the money, it may be the plans you have. You'll let go of a lot of things, but you feel safe and secure because you've got that. If you ever lost that, you're just not sure what you would do. For some of you, it may be a career. For some of you, it may be a possession. For some of you, it may be a person. It may be a relationship. It may be family. And you're willing to, you know, pay a price to follow God in some other areas, but not if it impacts that one thing. I don't, want you, don't know what your boat is, but I know you're probably just like me, and we all have a tendency to cling as hard as we can to the side of our boats. But here's what you have to recognize. There's a danger to getting out of the boat, but there's a danger to staying in it as well. There's a risk both ways. Obviously, there's some risk to getting out of the boat. But you know what you risk by staying in the boat? You risk the opportunity to have a growing personal relationship with Jesus. Because every time you say no to trusting him, it diminishes your relationship with him. That's how trust works in any relationship. The less trust, the less strong the relationship. When you choose to stay in the boat, you risk the danger of missing the purpose for which you were put on this earth. You miss the opportunity to live fully alive, where you know you are in the middle of exactly what God wants you to do with your life. You're doing exactly what you ought to be doing. You miss the opportunity to experience some things in life that can only be explained by God. There's a danger to getting out of the boat, absolutely. But there's a danger to staying in it as well. There's a danger to clinging to the side. And you, were, you and I were made for more than sitting in a boat. This is a decision that Peter's having to make. Just imagine this. Put yourself in his shoes. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind? Here's my choice. Stay where it's safe and cling to the side of the boat. Or believe that that really is Jesus and he really will help me to do what I can't do on my own. And jump out of the boat into a lake in the middle of a violent wind. And here's what he did. Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Peter wasn't the only guy in the boat. There are 12 guys in the boat. There are 12 guys, 12 guys, who had just watched Jesus just a few hours before take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people with it. They'd seen it with their own eyes. Twelve guys who knew Jesus personally, who knew what he could do, who had watched miracle after miracle after miracle. Twelve guys who are sitting in that boat in the middle of that wind, and they all have an opportunity to say, Jesus, I'll come. Jesus, I'll follow. Jesus, I will take a courageous step of faith. But eleven guys sat in the boat. Eleven guys clung to the side. Only one guy was willing to get out and walk. I'm telling you, whenever God nudges you to take a step and you begin to feel the fear that paralyzes you, you've got to make a decision, do I want to be one of the 11 or do I want to be the one? Because they have very different experiences. You can't avoid the fear. I'm telling you, you stay in the boat, you're still going to feel fear. You know the kind of fear that you feel when you're in the boat? When you're trying to protect and control, I'll tell you what it is. You, you feel the fear of, 
I'm responsible for this thing that gives me safety and security, and how in the world am I going to protect it? You feel this pressure to protect what it is that seems so important to you and at the core of who you are. There's fear that I can't live up to or I can't protect or I can't keep or I can't hold on to and control this thing that I feel I need so much. And yeah, there's fear with getting out of the boat as well. But here's the thing. At least with that fear, you're walking towards Jesus and you have the confidence that you're where he is. He's not in the boat. He's out there asking you to follow. And you have to decide which fear you're going to choose. You have to decide which person you're going to be. So here's my question for you. What is the step of faith? What is the nudge? What is that courageous step that you know you need to take? And you have not done it because of fear. Because of the fear that you won't get what you most want in life if you take the step the fear that it won't work out, the fear that God won't provide for you, the fear that you'll lose something that means too much to you. What's that step? He's been tapping. He's been nudging. It just comes to your mind every time you're at church. It comes to mind when you're praying. For some of you, it's just haunted you all week long. It's just nagged at you. What step do you need to take? You've got to decide if you're going to keep clinging to the side of the boat or if you're going to get out. For some of you, you're at a point in terms of exploring faith where that next step for you is to seriously explore who Jesus is. You've just never done it. It's been really easy and you got a lot of reasons and some valid arguments and you know how to shut Christians down real quick. It's so easy just to dismiss Christianity. It's so easy just to dismiss Jesus and people who follow Jesus, they're not smart and they're not paying any attention. They check their brains at the door. It's so easy to, to just make an argument and dismiss all of that. But you have never actually been intellectually honest enough to seriously explore who Jesus is and whether there's enough evidence that he is who he said he is that you should take it seriously. And so for you, the next step may be to go to a friend who's a Christian and say, you know what, I'd like to explore. Would you help me figure this out? Or maybe it's to take a step and to get in one of our starting point groups where you can explore with some other people who are exploring and you can ask questions and you can start figuring out what you believe. But it's to move from, no, 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 I don't have to pay attention to that, to maybe I should seriously consider it. For some of you, you've been exploring faith for a while, but you have not taken the step to begin following Jesus. You have not reached a point where you are willing to say, okay, God, I do need your forgiveness, and I do want to follow. And the the only reason you keep walking up to the line and backing away is fear. It's fear of the impact it's going to have on your life. It's fear of what's on the other side of that decision. It's fear of, well, if I do that, I think I'm going to have to change some things I don't want to change. It's fear of what other people are going to think. It's fear of the reaction you're going to get from family. I don't know what it is for you. But you have put that off long enough. And the step of faith, the courageous step you need to take today is to let go of the boat and to say, okay, God, I'm all in. I've still got questions, I've still got doubts, I'm still not sure about everything, but I'm just going to jump in and follow. I need your forgiveness. I want to be a part of your family. For you, that's a step. For a lot of us who follow Jesus, I don't know exactly what your step looks like, but I bet I can describe it. It is a step of obedience with no guaranteed outcome. That's what makes it so hard, isn't it? There's something God's been asking you to do, and because you don't want to do it, because it's going to cost you something, because of fear, you've just said no. 
You've just ignored it. You've just come up with reason after reason why, no, that's not what I should do. That can't be God. But the real reason is it's a step of obedience with no guaranteed outcome. And you're just not sure you can trust God enough. You're not sure you can trust God enough to, to give that marriage another shot, to show up at counseling and try to deal with that, to go to that person one more time and try to reconcile that relationship, to take your money and quit managing it your way and start managing it the way God advises you to manage it, to take some of your time and make it not about you, make it about the you beside you and serve somebody else, to change a job, to take a job. I don't know what it looks like. But it is a step of obedience with no guaranteed outcome. And because there's no guaranteed outcome and because there's uncertainty, you keep clinging to the boat saying, well, God, you just show me a little more. You just show me, you just show me how it'll work out. And he's going, no, because it's not actually about what you're going to do. It's about whether you trust me or not. So what's the step you need to take and will you take it? Some of you are going, but I'm not sure I have enough faith. And this is why you don't take the step. You're afraid. I'm going to take the step. And I'm not sure I have enough faith once I take the step to follow all the way through. And I don't want to get out there and I don't want to start following and then stop. To which I would say to you, you need to understand your obedience is no guarantee of a lack of adversity. You are going to face adversity. And guess what? You are going to fail at times in the middle of following. If you know much about this story, you know Peter did. He jumps out of the boat. He begins walking on water towards Jesus. You would think, well, that's all you need just to sprint right on over there. But no. All of these accounts tell us that he began to pay attention to the wind and the waves, the adversity. The water started splashing up in his face, and he realized, where am, what am I doing? I'm in the middle of a lake. And he started to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus, and he stopped trusting. You're going to have moments like that where you start to sink. It's okay. All you have to do is do what Peter did. He did what any of us would have done. His gut reaction was just to say, Jesus, help. And Jesus said, okay, and he grabbed him by the hand. He took him back to the boat. Here's what I know. For the rest of their lives, think about this. For the rest of their lives, there were 11 guys who had a story to tell. It was an extraordinary story. For the rest of their lives, there were 11 guys who walked around, and every time somebody asked them, you say, oh, they were going, oh, you're not going to believe it. Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I saw. Let me tell you what I saw. It was just unreal. For the rest of their lives, 11 guys had a story to tell. But one guy, Peter, had an experience to share. 11 guys were saying, let me tell you what I saw. There was one guy who for the rest of his life said, let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I experienced. Listen, for those of you who follow Jesus, for all of you, honestly, I just don't want you to keep having stories to tell. I, I don't want you just to keep saying, well, let me tell you what happened at our church, and let me tell you what I saw God do for them, and let me tell you, and let me tell you. I mean, that's great. But I want you to have an experience to share. I want you to have something to share that's so personal that you go, let me tell you what happened in my life, and there's no more plausible, reasonable, logical explanation than only God could have done that. But here's what I know. 
Whether you have a story to tell or experience to share depends on your willingness to take a step of faith that costs you something. If you want to stay in the boat this year, you're going to get to the end of the year and you're going to have some extraordinary stories to tell. You will. You'll see God do some great stuff around you. But I want you to get to the end of the year and have an experience to share. Something that can only logically be explained by God. So yeah, there's a danger to getting out of the boat, but there's a danger to staying in it as well. And you were made for more than just sitting in a boat. So as we wrap up today, here's what I want to do. I want to carve out a few moments here where if you're like me and you've sensed God nudging on your heart to take a step, you know, oh, that's a thing, and I just don't want to do it because I'm scared to death, but that's a thing. I want to carve out a few moments here where you take that step, where you tell God, I'm, I'm going to do it, where you commit. And then we're going to end with a song in a moment. The band will come back up and I want you to use this last song as a prayer. That if you're ready to take a courageous step of faith that costs you something, you'll just sing this song as a prayer to God that I'm in. I'm going to stop clinging to the side of the boat. I'm ready to get out and follow. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us? It's so hard, but would you help us? Those of us who have been sensing a nudge from you, those of us who know what we need to do. Would you help us to take a courageous step? If for you that step is to explore seriously who Jesus is, then would you just tell him that? Would you just say, God, if you're there, I want to know who you are. And I'm willing to explore it. I'm going to jump in and ask some people to help. But if you're there, would you show me who you are? For some of you, you've been right there at the line to commit yourself fully to follow Jesus. Would you just do that right now? Just tell him, okay, God, I'm, I'm done delaying. I'm done making excuses. I want to be a part of your family, and I need your forgiveness. Change my life. Forgive me. For those of us who follow Jesus, whatever that thing is that he just keeps pushing you to do. Would you tell him that? Father, it's so much easier to cling to the side of the boat. It's so much easier to hold on to whatever we look to for safety and security. Whatever it is that, you know, we, it's the one area that's just off limits and we just can't imagine if we didn't have control of that, if if, if that wasn't a part of our life, if it wasn't like we wanted it to be, we can't imagine moving forward. And so a lot of us were just paralyzed by fear, by the fear that it'll cost too much, by the fear that we won't get what we want, by the fear that our lives won't turn out the way we want them to turn out. And really, all it is is a trust issue. And the whole reason you invite us to take courageous steps of faith is not because you need us to do something. We realize it's because you want us to trust you more. The more we trust you, the closer we are to you. So thanks for inviting us into a life of big faith and big trust. And when the waves seem big, when the winds blow hard, when we fail, just help us to keep turning and looking back to you. But 
most of all, give us the boldness and the courage to take a step and to trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.